This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Okay, good morning, everyone. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, I am a little nervous, of course. This is the first time giving the message on Sunday mornings, although I've spoken at various times as piecemeal or part of things. Um, it is a lot of responsibility, um, but I do, and I am really excited about what the Lord has impressed upon me for this morning, um, but just to help my nerves and to help our ears, um, let's pray before we begin. God, thank you so much for that wonderful time of worship this morning, the um, opportunity that we have to just declare you for who you are each time we come together to be reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness to shed the worries and the fears and the preoccupations of the week, just to focus on your history of goodness with your people and to us personally and your vision for our lives. And God, as I attempt to piece together this message that you've given me, I pray that you guide my words, that you take us down the path that you intend for us to go, and that you ultimately would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I was given the topic, godly creativity. When given this topic, my mind went to probably a pretty similar place to how most of your minds might go. Thinking artists, musicians, poets, crafting, maybe even decorating or storytelling or writing. Maybe you think of a certain person that you know who has a particular talent or skill that you just think of them as always possessing this incredible imagination or ability, but what about when we think of godly creativity? How does that change things? How do we apply these talents, skills, and inspiration as people of God? I'm sure for many of you what come to mind are the great historical painters or contemporary artists, musicians, singers, poets, or authors that have kind of scanned through on those slides. We have a lot in our history where God has been glorified by the fine arts. But how do we apply these talents and skills and inspiration as people of God? We even have resources to help us be creative. Coloring books, Bibles with extra space in the margins, writing prompts, churches with dance teams and classes, and probably more opportunities than I can even think of. But some of you may be wondering, what if I'm not creative? How can this message apply to me? I'm not gifted. I don't have a particular talent. I mean, I can appreciate what other people create, but I'm not creative. What if godly creativity is something more, more than a talent you have or a skill you possess or a product you create, but is instead a lifestyle that you live? In preparing this message, beginning in the basic places where we all begin when we think about it, I really felt the Lord widening my vision to something broader about how creativity is integral in his kingdom and how it can be a godly lifestyle, not just a talent that some people have and other people don't. So in my response to the Lord's prompting, I began to search, and as you'll see, example upon example from scripture revealed itself to me, but as I also searched amongst thinkers of our day and Christian writers, I found a few quotes and concepts that I think give a good glimpse and lay the foundation 
for where the Lord was taking me. So I've highlighted elements of these quotes on the slides, the kind of key points that I want to highlight for you guys, um, but I'm gonna read this um, whole excerpt. And this is by Thomas Terry and Ryan Lister on an article of Why Your Creativity Matters to Christ. The gospel recreates all of you so that every part of you, including your creativity, is from Christ, through Christ, and to Christ. For the creative, this means that you find beauty in the places where God has healed you and transformed your creativity. It means you allow God to weave his beautiful restoration into every one of your creative acts. Let the one who has healed your fractures get the glory of your life and your life's work. Creativity, like love, is not a selfish act. It has both a vertical and a horizontal orientation for God and for neighbor. Our creativity is at its best when it lifts our eyes to transcendence and forces the world to wrestle with its creator. The trumpet of imagination, as G.K. Chesterton says, is like the trumpet of the resurrection. It calls the dead out of their graves. In the end, follow the Lord's example. He presents his glory in general and special creative acts. They both declare his glory and demonstrate aspects of his nature. But he doesn't limit himself to one genre or mode. Everything he does in this world is for his glory and our good. As I began to contemplate accounts of creativity in scripture, I was overwhelmed by the number of examples. Arguably, the Bible itself is a creative act. Hundreds of authors across centuries putting into verse, prose, allegory, and symbol, and parable the message of God and his plan for it, and his plan for earth, its creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And as I began to survey these examples and to select the more prominent and well-known stories, I discovered that there were some common themes of how creativity is portrayed in scripture, and I'll talk about each of these in more depth in a moment, but just to give you guys an overview. The four themes that I found myself centered around is that one, creation God reflects God's nature on earth and back to him in worship. Two, God is creative in his warfare against the enemy and his strategies for um, freeing his people from oppression. Three, creativity is part of how we pursue God and our creativity helps us to pursue him in worship and in abandon and with commitment. And four, we need creativity to serve the lost and to reflect God's kingdom on earth. We can't do the work without it. So this first point, the idea that, God's, that creation reflects God's nature on earth and back to him. Kirk Byron Jones said, creativity is not just what God does. Creativity is who God is. Verse upon verse hails him as the creator of this earth and his handiwork for which he's worthy of praise. These are just a selection of verses. There are probably hundreds more in scripture. But beginning right at verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the first thing we know of God, is him as a creator. In Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. His creation gives us a sense of who he is, his expansiveness, what he's capable of. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive honor and glory forever and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Proverbs 3, 19 and 20. The Lord by his wisdom founded the earth, and by understanding he established the heavens. 
By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. He's wise, he's understanding. He has knowledge that goes beyond the deeps that we can, that we can explore and the clouds drop down the dew. He is faithful to provide what we need. In Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. There have been times in my walk with the Lord where I've struggled with doubt. Most of us have at some point or another. And, and one of these times I was seeking counsel from a more seasoned believer, and they encouraged me to go back to the basics. You know, when struggling with kind of the more complex, nuanced things or how to apply scripture to current experience to instead look at the broader scope of the gospel, look at the broader scope of, you know, God's story. And so to relay the foundation of my faith and thinking of how to go about this, I decided to, well, go back to the beginning with the big questions of, does God exist? What kind of God is he? And what then does that mean for humankind or for me? And I ultimately found myself faced with this reality of Romans 1.20. I couldn't believe that everything around us was formed by chance. I felt compelled to believe in a creator because of creation. And in looking at the details, care, oversight, and affection evident in creation, I could only conclude that a creator would not invest so much in creation only to abandon it. Some of you may know I dabble in creativity myself, in artistic expression, and there's an investment of the person that happens in that. And by relating to that um, element of God, it was impossible to believe that God would create something only to not care about it. Presence, active involvement, commitment, and ultimately love define themselves for me in this profile of a creator. God continued to lead me through that difficult time of doubt, but it ultimately began with understanding of his heart as a creator. The second point that I found myself collecting is that God is creative in his strategies and methods of warfare against the enemy. In Exodus 2, Moses is placed in a basket by his mother to float in a river to escape the slaughter of the Hebrew infants by Pharaoh. His sister follows him, then has the opportunity to witness him being drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, approaches her, pretty bold, but also with this creative solution of offering to find a wet nurse for him, and he's able to be cared for by his own mother. Just that idea of putting a baby in a basket to save its life, and then approaching Pharaoh's daughter to just offer an inspirational idea um, are these simple creative acts that ultimately planted the seed for God to free his people from the oppression in Egypt. The Battle of Jericho. God's people are instructed to march silently around the walls for seven days. What an unexpected direction. On the last day, they would blow trumpets and shout to the Lord, and God brought down the walls and the city was overtaken. The 12 spies in Numbers 13 and 14 were sent into the land to give a report as the Israelites were coming into the promised land. And the land was um, possessed or inhabited, and 10 of the spies are saying, this is impossible, they're too well entrenched, there's giants there, it's too powerful. But yet two still imagined God capable to overtake and to give what he had promised, and they were rewarded for their faith. 
The book of Judges is full of story after story in which the judges rise up against the oppressors of the Israelites using uncommon methods. And these that I've listed are only a few examples. Ehud using his left-handedness and the physical condition of his oppressor to bring him down. Shamgar, who took down 600 of the enemy with an ox goad. Jael, who welcomed the enemy into her tent, facilitated intoxication, and used a stake tent to end his life. Gideon, and although his story starts with doubt and uncertainty and caution, you have to say the lamb's skin test is pretty creative. Um, but God ultimately was there with him and gracious with him in his doubt and in his seeking to confirm what the God was calling him to do. And ultimately, God built his faith over time to the point where he, um, his faith and his imagination led to victory at night with only 300 men, torches, clay pots, and trumpets. Samson, large accounts of defeating the enemy with a skull, um, tying two foxes together to, and setting them on fire to run through the fields of the Philistines and burn them down. Ultimately, he gave up his strength to deceit and lust. His sight was taken by the enemy. But even at the end of his life, he imagined God as capable of delivering them from the Philistines and returning his strength to bring them down with the collapsing of pillars. Esther and her plan to infiltrate the palace and use the gift of her beauty and her grace to rescue her people from the plot of the enemy. David, account after account of his use of creativity and the elements of creativity in his story. He's known for playing the lyre to soothe Saul when he was tormented by evil spirits. In this, his music was more than entertainment, it was warfare. David the shepherd had faith and imagined that since God had delivered him from the enemy of his flock, that God was also capable of delivering him from Goliath. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of the Philistine. Stones and sling were not the default weapons of the day, but yet their use brought glory to God as the ultimate victor of the battle. Although David was a source of comfort to Saul early on, eventually their relationship became tumultuous as Saul grew more jealous and covetous over his role as king, and it ultimately be, um, became a threat to David's life, and he was on the run for a long time. Um, but Jonathan, Saul's son, was a close friend to David, and at one point where Saul was plotting to attack David, Jonathan and David come up with this plan to use the shooting of arrows in order to tell him whether to stay or to flee in order to be safe. And David also presents a bridge to the next theme as he not only trusted God's provision and guidance in battle beyond human design, but he was also known to play the lyre and many of the Psalms can be attributed to him. Throughout scripture, creativity has been used to help God's people know how to pursue him and how to reflect his nature and how to worship him. David writing the Psalms, but there's, throughout scripture, there's the song of this person, the song of this person, the song of this person in which they're declaring God's goodness and faithfulness and using that as part of how they pursue knowledge of God. 
Ruth chose to set aside her own people to join Naomi, saying, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Not only did she decide to pursue God instead of returning to her own people, but she also pursued redemption from her kinsmen through the use of creativity and wisdom and cleverness. Zacchaeus, who climbed a tree just to get a view of Jesus, was instead invited to share a table with him, turning away from a life of greed and selfishness to pursuit of Jesus. Peter, caught in the middle of this tumultuous storm, looks out of the boat, sees Christ across the sea, and imagines no obstacle as he initially pursues him across the water. And though he wavered, Christ was there with him. So he imagined God possible and capable of catching him were he to fall. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, the buried treasure, each of these recognize the worth of the kingdom and talk about individuals who abandon all in pursuit of it. Christ's very use of parables in scripture to teach us is through symbol and allegory, through a creative act, what it means to pursue God, to have faith in Jesus, and to be of his kingdom. Mary shows such a generous act of love and devotion in the use of expensive perfumes to anoint Jesus' feet in John 12, 3. He later references this as her preparation for burial. She didn't know what she was doing at the time. She just knew that she loved her Savior and wanted to honor him and was ridiculed for it. It was a ludicrous idea to spend perfume on watching someone's feet, but it honored Jesus and prepared him for what was coming. Mark 12, 30 reminds us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We can only assume that creativity is part of this. We are also called to serve and save the lost, to represent God's kingdom here on earth, and creativity also plays a role in how we do this. Joseph was granted the gift of dream interpretation and his gift followed him into exile, and he continued to use it to serve those around him, even while in prison with his fellow prisoners, ultimately leading him to catch the notice of Pharaoh and allowing God to save a whole region through the use of the dream interpretation, including his own people from famine. This then brought Joseph's brothers back to him. They had rejected him, thrown him into a pit, sold him into slavery, and told his father he was dead. But Joseph does not hold them in resentment. Instead, he devises a pretty crafty plan to also bring his father and his younger, youngest brother to Egypt in order that his whole family might be reconciled to him and saved from starvation. Solomon. Most people have heard the story of Solomon and the two women in which they're fighting over the life of a baby, and Solomon suggests a pretty extreme solution, but ultimately, in the end, the, the true nature of events found their way to light. But another point is that this concept that the, in 1 Kings 10, 24, it says that the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind, including the Queen of Sheba, who came from far, far away to seek out Solomon, to put questions to him, to hear his solutions. And that was the gift of creativity as part of his wisdom. The prophets, over and over again, in the books and the stories of the prophets, God uses symbolism, allegory, and metaphor to teach his people his ways and to call a wayward Israel back to him. Elijah, Elisha, both have multiple accounts 
of unusual methods and means of representing what God's wanting to teach the Israelites. The entire book of Hosea in itself is a metaphor for God's pursuit of his people, their constant rejection of him, and his continuous grace and redemption offered to them. We need creativity in how we serve the lost of the world. We need to imagine God's design for his kingdom on earth. We are his representatives here. We're part of his creation who are designed to reflect his nature, his imagers, as Mario has referred to before. Creativity is not only some lofty act, though. Sometimes it's a lowly one, like a young boy in the midst of a crowd, seeing the need of Jesus and his men, realizing that they must be hungry, and sacrificially believing and imagining that his gift could be of some use to his Savior, while Jesus, in turn, makes a difference for 5,000, feeding them from this lowly gift. Another time is the crowds surround Jesus, making it impossible to approach. Four friends find a solution and make a way, removing a roof and lowering their friend down through him through it. The paralytic was forgiven and healed as evidence of Christ's power to save and to forgive sins. A woman caught by the religious leaders in the act of adultery and brought before the crowd to be stoned as a test for Jesus, hoping to charge him, to catch him into some act that then they could arrest him and take him away. But instead, he challenges them to consider their own guilt and bends down to write on the ground. An unexpected response for sure. We can only guess at what he may have written, drew, or conveyed in the dirt that day. But whatever it was, they turned away and left. The woman left with not only her life, but with forgiveness. Many verses reflect this concept, and these are a small sampling. But ultimately, these two verses kind of encapsulate this message. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became one outside the law, not being outside of the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. These concepts present themselves all throughout Scripture. The concept of the first being last, that God blesses the lowly, the meek, those who suffer for righteousness' sake. You know, the Beatitudes are filled with this concept that what the world thinks is standard, what, is, what follows the rules of the world, is different in God's kingdom. And it is through his gift of imagination and creativity and the leading of his spirit that he opens that up to us and invites us to join him in reflecting his nature, fighting against the enemy, pursuing him, and reaching the lost. There are two quotes by two current thinkers, writers, and creatives in the kingdom that I wanted to share with you all. Timothy Keller writes, if the story of salvation is creation, fall, redemption, restoration, then things look different. The purpose of redemption is not to escape the world, but to renew it. If we lose the emphasis on the corporate, 
on the kingdom, we lose the power of the gospel for cultural transformation. And this one from John Piper. I say that imagination is a Christian duty for two reasons. One is that you can't apply Jesus' golden rule without it. He said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. We must imagine ourselves in their place and imagine what we would like done to us. Compassionate, sympathetic, helpful love hangs much on the imagination of the lover. Lord, may our imaginations rest on yours. May we not see the limitations of human bounds, ideas, or concepts. Open our eyes to how creation reflects your goodness, to the way you fight beyond the natural. Show us how to pursue you in mind, body, heart, and spirit, and strength. Help us to love and serve the lost, to imagine them as you see them, to imagine solutions where the world says there are none. In each of these examples, you make a way because you see beyond what we can see. Lord, gift us with creative vision for your kingdom, that we would serve you creatively both in the vertical and in the horizontal, in worship of you and in service of nature. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, let's give Kim a nice hand. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.